everyone doesn't follow news the way that I follow news. I've, I've learned that. Not everyone uses the same news outlets that I go to, and, and uh, some do. Um, but there was, a, there was an issue that just exploded in Christian news media over the course of the last several weeks that had to do with a very well-known uh, pastor up in Atlanta, um, and I'll name him. It's Andy Stanley is who it is. And yeah, Andy's, Andy's a, he's a good guy, good preacher. But Andy, in the midst of a message, a single message that was a one of a series of three messages, Andy said pretty much verbatim that we need to unhitch our faith unhitch our New Testament faith in Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. And, of course, immediately there are a great many people that latched on to that. And there was one individual in particular that labeled him a heretic, you know, and that's always dangerous when you start calling other people heretics. I want to leave judgment to God when it comes to those things. If someone says, you don't need to follow Jesus to get to heaven, then I can say, that's heresy. We can recognize heresy um, but what Andy was saying in the context of his three messages, and you really need to go back and look at the full context of what he was preaching, was that there are a great many people that when you speak of the Bible and when you speak of faith, they have this picture of going back and keeping the Ten Commandments, that we've got to go back and keep the Deuteronomic law, the law of Moses in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that they're is a list of do's and don'ts that were presented upon that decision to follow Jesus Christ, when in reality, Jesus Christ came to set us free, that we would be the freest of all people, and that we need to disconnect the idea of being a follower of Jesus Christ from being in bondage to a law that cannot be kept by anyone, was never kept by anyone except Jesus. And so... I would suggest that Andy's not a heretic. I'm, I, I think he was a bit inartful in the way that he expressed that. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is, is that there is absolutely no way we can unhitch the Old Testament from our faith. I mean, when Jesus was teaching, the only Bible he had was the Old Testament. When he made reference to the Scriptures, he referred to the law and the prophets. And so while I respect Andy Stanley and what he's accomplished for the kingdom cause and all of those things, I would respectfully disagree with him with regard to his premise that we somehow need to in any way dishinge, unhinge, disconnect the Old Testament. What we need to do is, is we need to understand the Old Testament in the context of our New Testament faith, we, we have so much biblical illiteracy among us that we need a greater understanding of the Old Testament. And so, as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table this morning, a New Testament ordinance, clearly, one put in place by Jesus just before he went to the cross, I want to suggest to you that you cannot understand this very ordinance without an understanding of the Old Testament. And I want to try to help lend some clarity to that understanding this morning by going back 
to the Old Testament. We're going to be looking this morning primarily at the book of Exodus and the book of Isaiah with a couple of other passages thrown in for good measure. In Exodus, and you know the story of, of Moses, and Moses was raised in the household of the Pharaoh. He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter floating in the river after the Pharaoh had ordered all the male children of the, of the Israelites to be slaughtered. And he was fished out of the river, raised in the Pharaoh's household. He killed the overseer of the Israeli slaves because he knew he was, he was Jewish. I mean, that was no big secret to him. And so now he's on the run. He's on the far side of, of uh, Midian out in the wilderness. He has this encounter with God before the burning bush, and God sends him back. He says, I want you to go back to Israel and free my people. And Moses has every excuse under the sun for embracing God's will, but God finally prevails, and uh, Moses concedes, goes back, and we have all of these plagues that are let loose, these miraculous uh, work of God in trying to demonstrate to the nation of Egypt that he is in control of all nature itself and the future of the nation of Egypt. And, and yet we've got this Pharaoh that he, he, he relents when difficulty comes upon him. He goes, okay, you guys can leave. Just go out and worship in the desert. Do whatever you want to do. But then when the plague is removed and relief is brought, his heart hardens towards the Israelites again. And so we go through all of these plagues until finally in chapter 11, Moses announces to Pharaoh the 10th and the final plague upon Egypt. That last plague was the death of every firstborn male, both animal and human. And in chapter 12, he instructs the Israelites in what will become a lasting commemoration of God's mighty act of freeing his people from their bondage. And so that puts us in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. It says that the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. God is telling them, I'm giving you a new calendar. We're starting fresh. As you, as you leave Egypt, I'm giving you a new calendar, and this is the first month of the calendar. This is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family one for each household. And then down a few verses. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And then a bit farther. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night... They are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And then down a bit further. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then down a bit further, this is a day that you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, 
a lasting ordinance. And so this Passover celebration was implemented by God, and it is still observed today by Jews all around the world, the bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of their time in Egyptian bondage, the bread without yeast to remind them of the haste with which they left Egypt, given that opportunity, the lamb representing sacrifice, shed blood applied to doorposts and door frames of the home, signifying atonement for sin. In all of this, God wanted his people to understand this commemoration. God wanted his people to understand the cost of sin, that there's a price associated with sin. There's cost associated with sin. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. As you read Leviticus and Numbers, you find the word blood occurs approximately 65 times in reference to sacrifice. Animals were slaughtered. Their blood was spilt for the purpose of maintaining relationship with God for covering over sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Well, CEV, the contemporary English version, interprets the Greek here as, as teacher rather than guardian. The King James uses the word tutor. The word Paul used was one which referred to individuals who served as moral guides for young men's mentors. They directed them in the correct way of life. They provided guidance to them. Paul says that's what the law was intended to do, to teach us, to tutor us, to guide us, to instruct us. The law instructs in a great many good things, but the greatest knowledge that it imparts is that to depart from God, to live apart from God, to live on your own, to sin results in death. Life is forfeited when we sin. For the Israelites, it was the life of a sacrificial animal. God said, the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So beginning with their release from slavery in Egypt, and over the course of hundreds of years, the Israelites celebrated the Passover, making animal sacrifices for their sin, but apparently with an increasing indifference and apathy. That is, they showed up on the Sabbath, they made their sacrifices, but it meant little to them. They shed Hundreds of thousands of gallons, maybe millions of gallons of blood, but they lost the understanding of the price of sin until finally God had had enough. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, God said this, when we move from Exodus, the, the establishment of the nation as they come out of slavery, to Isaiah about 700 years before the time of Christ. The nation of Israel is going into exile under the Assyrians. And in about 130 years, the nation of Judah is going to go into exile under the rule of the Babylonians. And God speaks through Isaiah and he says to his people, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they? 
to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams, of fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Get that. Man, God gave them the animals. He said, There's the life is in the blood. I'm giving you these animals to make sacrifice on the altar for the atonement of sin. And now in Isaiah, he's telling them, I've had, I, I've had enough. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. He said, that's not what I want is for you to just spill more and more and more blood. I want you to quit spilling blood. I want you to live right. But what had happened over the course of hundreds of years was some of these Israelites had raised flocks of goats, had raised them with the specific purpose of making sacrifice before God. And so they would come on the Sabbath, and they would make their sacrifice, and the priest would cut the throat of the goat, and the blood would be spilt, and the sacrifice would be made, and the sins would be atoned for, and the individual would go back out into the world to live just like he lived before that Sabbath, knowing I've got a flock of of lambs back here. I've I've got another lamb. No problem. I've got lambs to bring for the atonement of sin. And every Sabbath, it's the same thing. Coming in with that lamb to make atonement. Got a whole flock of lambs. I got plenty of lambs. I got plenty of blood to, to be spilt. God's intention at the, at the Passover was that the people of Israel would understand when you sin, this is serious business. Life is forfeited. A lamb, a young lamb that does not deserve to die is going to die. His blood is going to be spilt because of your sin. This is serious. This is a weighty matter. When we sin, life is forfeited. But over the course of hundreds of years, that that sense was lost. There was a hardness of heart. There was an apathy that set in. And the people came and they brought their animals with regularity and the sacrifice was made. And, and God said, well, what, are you, what are you doing this for? I find no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this? The trampling of my courts. You see, this coming before God with this apathetic attitude and just walking in a rote and a ritualistic fashion through what what the law called for, what the, what the law said was worship. God said, when you come and you do that in a ritualistic fashion and your heart's not right, you're just doing it because that's what the law called for. He said, that's a trampling of my courts. I want to suggest to you today that when we come to worship and our hearts are not right before God, we're doing it because it's just what we do week in and week out as we, we come to worship, you know. And, we throw our money in the offering plate and go to our small groups, and somehow, someway, we think this is sacrifice to God. This isn't sacrifice to God. We looked at that video about, about our, our, our war dead that have shed their blood that our country might remain free. This is freedom. This is a freedom that we enjoy to come and worship. This is not sacrifice, what we do here. And yet we've become so apathetic, some of us, in our worship of God that we perceive this as making some great sacrifice and giving of God our time and we come down here with apathetic hearts and God said to these people this is a trampling of my courts he would say the same thing today that if you come before me and worship of any kind with a with an improper heart attitude that it's a 
It's a trampling of my cords. Who, who asked this of you, this, this, that you would come every Sunday just because that's what you always do in a rote and ritualistic fashion? Who's asked you to, to do this, this, this trampling of my cords? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. If they don't mean anything to you, I can assure you they mean nothing to me. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbath and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your, your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. My soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. The Israelites continued to sacrifice, to worship, to pray, but it was empty ritual. And God said, stop, stop, stop bringing your meaningless sacrifices. I find no pleasure in the shedding of more and more and more blood. If that's all this means to you, I'll hide my eyes and I will not answer your prayer. God wants us to remember the shedding of blood had significance. And the significance was that sin cost and the cost of sin is life literally god wanted then he wants his people now to understand his heart in isaiah chapter 1 in verse 15 he says your hands are are full of blood so wash and and make yourself clean take your evil deeds out of my sight stop doing wrong learn to do right seek justice Encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. He said, this is what I want. I don't want more blood spilt. I want you to stop doing what's wrong. I want you to do what's right. I want you to seek justice in the society in which you live as much as you can. I want you to live justly and to seek justice. I want you to defend the oppressed I want you to be a voice for the orphans for the widows in all of those areas where you have a strength of resource and a strength of voice and a strength of cause that you can speak and you can bring justice about where there is no justice this is what I want from you is that you would learn to live right and quit doing wrong God wants us to understand that it's it's not empty ritual that he desires, a walking through the motions of some sacrificial system, some empty worship of him in which we engage without giving any thought to what it means. God's, God's pleased when out of our love for him, we set our own self-interest aside for the sake of others. God wants us to look beyond ourselves to those around us, that we would not live life for ourselves, that we wouldn't make life all about Ah, so you remember that greatest command, love God, love others. Remember what Paul said in Philippians, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Christ had, who stepped down from heaven, who took on human form, who went to the cross, who died a death, shed his blood, that one last great sacrifice that we might live in freedom. God wants us to understand his heart, that which moves him to action. God's filled with compassion for those in need. Most of all us, he's filled with compassion for us. 
because we are people in such great need. He's filled with compassion. When, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that is the, that is the heart of God filled with compassion for lost mankind that has this great need. And he is the only one that has what will fill that need. And that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 18, he said, Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they can be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you resist and you rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God said, Know me. Know what pleases me and cease with this empty ritual. Trust me and I will wash the stain of your sin completely away. God wants relationship with his people, not empty ritual. He wants people with a heart like his is what he wants. Not people that just continually come and make a ritualistic sacrifice. The great majority of the people of Isaiah's day just they didn't get it. They refused to understand, even try. They spent years in exile as a nation, in many respects, in exile from God. But, but at just the right moment, God sent his son Jesus. In the shed blood of the perfect lamb of God, God wants us to understand the cost of sin. He wants us to understand his heart for those he created, his heart of compassion, and he wants to he wants us to understand what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. You see, this is why you can't unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. You can't unhitch that which was Scripture in Jesus' day from that New Testament Scripture that that we've had the, the great privilege of, of being exposed to in the aftermath of Jesus' death because Jesus came to be the fulfillment of all of this law in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word translated fulfilled here means to complete, to, to consummate. God sent Jesus to complete the law, to give it its fullest meaning. And Isaiah spoke of how that completion would take place and we looked at it last week but you cannot look at this passage of scripture too much in Isaiah 53 7 he was oppressed and afflicted yet he didn't open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent so he didn't open his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away and who can speak of his descendants he had none for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken he was signed a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth yet it was the lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and though the lord makes his life a guilt offering he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the lord will prosper in his hand and after the suffering of his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. You see, the law instructs us not only in the price of sin, death, and separation, and 
blood shed, but also the grace of God. Jesus went to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter without a word of protest. He suffered, he died, he was buried with sinful men in an earthly tomb, and it was God's will for all of it to happen because God knew what his justice required. Jesus paid the price for your sins and for mine in the shedding of his own precious blood and in the process bore our iniquities, paid the price of our sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. God sent Christ to die to dispense with the ritual sacrifice of animals. And in 1 Peter 1.18, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And to have relationship with God, to claim a seat at this table we're going to gather around in just a minute, you must accept Jesus as your Savior, the spotless lamb whose blood was shed to pay the price of your sin. You've got to choose to follow him. You've got to choose to be a disciple. You've got to choose him. You've got to claim him as your Savior. You've got to acknowledge sin. You've got to acknowledge the need for atonement. You've got to acknowledge that sin brings death. Sin will bring your death, or you can throw yourself on the mercy of God by way of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and let his death atone. But sin brings death. Jesus has paid the price of that sin if you'll choose him. Do you understand this morning that only shed blood covers sin? Because God wants us to understand this, this cost. He wants us to understand his heart, what's truly important to us. He wants us to dispense with empty ritual. Honest to goodness, he would prefer that we stay home than to have us come in, in empty ritual. He wants us to understand what Jesus did on our behalf. You see, just as the Israelites became complacent in the sacrifice that they made for sin, just as God said to them, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I've, I've more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat, of fattened animals, of no more, no pleasure and more blood, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you to do this, to trample my courts in this way? Stop bringing, stop bringing meaningless offerings to me. We can become complacent in our worship as well and bring that meaningless offering before God. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood 
of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is not an empty ritual in which we engage. I've shared with you in the past that, the, that my, my understanding of that passage is, is that to come and partake of the Lord's Supper without understanding what it really is, not discerning the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, not discerning these things that we've spoken of this morning, that there is a cost associated with sin, and that cost is death, that it requires death. Sin requires death. To fail to understand that, to fail to understand that Jesus' death pays the price for your sin, to come and partake of the elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, failing to discern what Scripture speaks clearly of, that Jesus has done these things for us is to eat and drink judgment upon yourself. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand these things, you are not a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so all that's left for you is judgment. And so we want to give you opportunity this morning to respond to Christ, to know that that relationship is in place. And God has it. There's a place for you at the table. I mean, Jesus wants you at the table, just as he said to the nation of Israel, come, stop, Don't, no more blood, no more blood, no more sacrifices, no more meaningless sacrifices, stop, stop doing what you're doing, you're trampling my courts, who asked you to do this, come, come, let us reason. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And just, just come, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. I mean, for, for many of you I know, like me, you, you've made decision to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You decided at some point that you were going to follow him. And yet still, there are those moments when the, the spirit wars against the flesh. And, man, you, you, you do not follow Jesus the way that he calls us to follow him. And if you've had a week like that, maybe you just need to be on your knees before God, acknowledging, Lord, I, I, got, I didn't align myself with you last week in, in this situation, that situation, whatever. And I repent. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven from first to last. I mean, that's the only way God can have a relationship with you is your, all your sins are forgiven. You stand clean before God. But there are times when we sin, when we go our own way, when we choose to be the ruler of our own life and we tell God, you know what, just take a break, I'll get back with you. And we go and act like the rest of the world acts. There are moments when we need to come back to God as disciples, the Holy Spirit of God speaking conviction into our heart and say, Father, I confess my sin and I repent of my sin. 
I'm turning away from it, and I'm following you. Believers confess and repent. We don't need to ask God to forgive us. He's forgiven us. The shed blood's covered over our sin. It's forgiven. But if you need to confess and repent this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ and realign yourself before you come to the table, then I want to encourage you, come clean before your Lord to the table. If you've never before put your faith and trust in Christ, do not come to the table of the Lord failing to discern that which he wants you to discern. Jesus died for you. His shed blood can cover over your sins. God's heart of compassion is that great. But in choosing to be a follower of Jesus Christ, man, it's not a one and done. God's called us to be his followers, to be his disciples, to be Christ-like. He doesn't want more blood of bulls and goats, more incense, more holy days celebrated. He wants us to go out into the world and be Jesus Christ, be the Jesus that he's conforming us to his likeness that we would defend the oppressed, that we would take up the cause of the fatherless and, and the orphan, the, the widows, that we would be a voice of justice in a world that lacks justice all around us, that we would be like Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. That's the sacrifice he wants us to make, is to follow him and be like him. If you've never made that decision before, we want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning. Before we come to the table, there's a place at the table for you, but you've got to come claim the place at the table. If you have a decision you need to make this morning, I'm going to be standing right here at the front. If you need to be on your knees before the Lord confessing and repenting, then take the opportunity as we prepare to come to the table.